following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. I'm really excited about the opportunity that I have to speak with all of you today. I think it was uh, about a year ago uh, when I had the last opportunity, so um, I doubt that that was uh, an accident. Uh, Normally, uh, they like to keep me, you know, off to the side for, for very many, many reasons. Uh, sometimes too much facial hair is intimidating. Sometimes, um, <clears throat> you know, it's just, you know, I thought that Mother's Day, you know, I didn't realize it was Mother's Day when we scheduled this out, and I thought it was because I was so cute. You know, mothers like cute people. Um, <laughs> I figured that was, you know, that was why uh, I got asked to speak. But then I started thinking about it. I looked at myself in the mirror this morning. I realized that I might have a face that only a mother would love. So <laughs> that's probably actually the reason. So a little more forgiving on a day like today. So um, I'm not going to be the Mother's Day Grinch today, um, like some people around here who tend to Grinch out the holidays, and pleasantly enough, they're not in here to defend themselves. Um, however, uh, <clears throat> we will be uh, uh, we will be going right to the text in John 15, I suppose, as it allows. We might mention some things about mothers, but for the most part, uh, we're going to see what uh, what John has for us today in the words of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, as I uh, was kind of preparing for this, and really the last few months, my mind and, and heart have been drawn um, to John 15, which is funny because last time uh, I spoke was out of John 14. And so you can see the progress that I've made uh, in a year's time. Uh, so, <clears throat> uh, however, uh, that's what you're dealing with today. Uh, so, so saddle up and get ready to go. But as, uh, as I was thinking about what to speak uh, to the body today, um, my, main, my mind was drawn to this passage. And so I spent a lot of commutes. Uh, uh, several of us in church here have been um, uh, challenging one another to listen and use our wasted time and drives and things like that to be just listening to the Word of God and allowing it to impact us you know, more than uh, country and Western music or, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, So I've been listening for the last uh, several months, uh, actually since the turn of the year, I really tried to listen to it. It's been of tremendous value to me. And uh, to those who also have endeavored in this, it's been tremendous value to them. You'd be surprised at the amount of the text of Scripture that can get just pummeled into your brain uh, just through 15, 20, 30-minute increments day after day after day. Um, time that would have been wasted on the thoughts of the day, um, thoughts of the work week, um, stresses of life um, have, uh, <clears throat> have been replaced. And it's been, it's been wonderful. Um, but in doing so, um, John 15, and especially uh, verse 11, which we will get to in a moment, has, uh, has really impacted my heart. And, uh, and thinking about just uh, thinking about thoughts of the Savior prior to his crucifixion. Uh, these are the last few discourses that he made um, prior to being arrested and then taken to be on trial. The last few things that he wanted to tell his, um, his disciples that he had poured into, um, this is a culmination of a lot of what we see previously in the parables and uh, throughout his teachings as we press on towards some of the things that we've recently been talking about in Mark um, as he's walking that road uh, to his death. Um, so these are... Uh, you know, some of the um, most precious um, 
truths uh, that we come across. Not to weigh them against one another, but just to realize that he is honing in and refining some of the things that he has, he has talked about all along the way. So let's, uh, let's, <coughs> let's read. Um, since uh, Chris read uh, earlier, I just, I'm going to just read through uh, 9 through 11 here. Um, just as our mind, as we bounce back and forth, will be um, caught up in these words. Uh, verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we... Uh, come to you today because we are are weak, and uh, despite how uh, strong we we think we are or feel we are, um, when we look at you and who you are, and your holiness, in your goodness, in your grace, in your kindness, in your love uh, for um, those who uh, love you back and those who don't, and uh, even those who do love you back uh, struggle at it and. Uh, find it incredibly difficult to love anything besides themselves. And so we are coming to you today because we need you. We come to your word and open its pages and read uh, the words that you have spoken uh, because without them, we can do nothing. Without uh, you and your power flowing through us, uh, we are incapable of pleasing you. And that is of eternal consequence. And so I pray that you would help us today as we look into your word, that you would guide us, that you would direct us, that you would cause our minds uh, to be alert, that our eyes would be open uh, as your spirit makes these things clear to us. I pray that you would prevent the sin of my own heart from coming through as I speak. I pray that you would uh, prevent the sins of, uh, of all of us that cloud our mind and the distractions of this world and the worldly pleasures and desires uh, that you would keep them out of our eyes, out of our minds as we, uh, as we focus on you. And take these few minutes just to remember how great you are, how weak we are, and how much that you have done to bring us to yourself and bring us joy. In your name I pray, amen. So uh, the context of, uh, of this passage in John 9 through 11 obviously is the first uh, part. I believe that the chapter break at uh, chapter between 14 and 15 is a decent one. Sometimes it's not always a decent one, but in this case, you know, I think it is. You see Jesus shifting, shifting gears here um, into chapter 15, but what you notice is, especially as John kind of sets up uh, this book, is uh, if you remember uh, description before... Um, is John writes kind of in circles um, as he writes. So he'll bring you along one way, and then he'll be pulling along everything that he's already said. You think of Paul, he's very, a lot of times, he, he bounces back and forth. A lot of times he's pretty Western. He's like, this is this, this adds to this, this adds to this, this adds to this. And he'll reference things, but not really in a cyclical kind of spiraling way. And so with John, he's gathering everything that he's just said, and he'll keep pieces of it as he moves along and it just keeps coming back. And so a lot of time it can be a repetitive or redundant, um, but also he's coming from a full background of people who are used to teaching each other through verbal repetition and, um, and memorization and that type of thing. Most people not privy to the scriptures. And so that recurring 
uh, reusing of, of ideas and themes as he moves along is very helpful as far as memorization. Um, you know, you see that in the ability to memorize John chapter 1. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the same things makes it, it sound uh, very repetitive and easy to, to remember. So you see that as well in this passage. Um, so chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 8. Uh, if you remember, uh, Stacy preached Good Friday. For those of you who were there uh, at the Good Friday service, he um, spent uh, some really quality time in uh, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And that, that theme has not just been there, but you've felt it probably come through. Um, you could see how it has impacted him and the way he speaks as well, and impacted even how the terminology that we um, try to teach one another as far as the ability that we have to, um, to do this Christian life in and of ourselves. Um, we don't. We don't have that ability. Um, and Jesus lays it out very clearly when he tells us, hey, you, don't, you can't do this by yourself. You are a human, you are a sinner, you are weak, you are frail, and without me, you can do nothing. So that's, uh, that Stacy has been touching on uh, over and over, and I think that it has kind of come into um, just the way that we speak to one another as well here at Cornerstone. Uh, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to give a quick summary of the first few verses. We won't be getting into that section, um, but it definitely, um, you'll see how it carries on into the, the next few verses. But um, <clears throat> as uh, we see here, Jesus is the vine, okay? He is the, uh, the lifeblood. He is the, um, is, you know, the power, the, the strength, the, um, he is our everything, all right, so everything that he has, he is um, a conduit of all that God is as he's revealing the Father to his disciples and consequently us. He is a, a conduit of that, but he himself is a wellspring of this um, sap, if you will, uh, you know, the divine sap that's flowing through him and consequently any fruit bearing that we do is flowing through, through him to us resulting in fruit. So that's the vine, Jesus. Uh, the Father, he is the vine dresser or the gardener. We see him doing several things up front. He is, um, he is not only taking up uh, dead uh, roots um, or dead branches, he is, he is removing them. Uh, they're not bearing fruit. He is removing them. We see it again. He's casting them into the fire. Okay, so those who are not in Christ, who do not have that sap flowing through them, uh, they are not part of this structure. They are not part of the vine. They are just, they're, you know, being discarded, okay? They are not part of what he is talking about here. They are not part, they are not grafted into God. They are not part of who he is um, and, uh, or participating in that relationship there. And so the father is then both taking them up and then he's also, he is also pruning those who are life um, imbibing branches that have, um, that have this vine sap flowing through them, he is pruning them to, so that they bear more fruit, okay? So the fact that they are connected to Christ uh, necessitates the fact that they will bear fruit, okay? And, this, and make it, you know, believers who are in Christ bear fruit. God, 
the father comes as the vine dresser, as the gardener, to prune and to, um, to clean. This, you know, the next verse here is a little play on words going on in the first few verses here. He is cleaning them. He is pruning them. Jesus' words even are being used in the way that the father um, prunes and cleans and dresses this uh, vine up to bear much more fruit. Okay, And then that's the second character here in the story. The third one are the disciples. Okay, specifically disciples, but it would clearly pass on to us as we who claim uh, to be his disciples as well. Uh, we are the branches bearing fruit. And of course, in this passage as well, it's, it's contra, it's against those who are not bearing fruit. Okay, you have fruit bearing, the, the believing, the disciples, and you have non-fruit bearing. Uh, they, are, are, they may think they're a disciple. They may uh, dress like a disciple. They may, uh, you know, they may be uh, with the disciples. You have that illustration very clearly in, in Judas, which, we've, you know, which we see him before and then after as well, um, where you have one who looks like, acts like um, he's with them all the time, but yet there's no life flowing through him. He is, um, he is removed uh, from, from them. He has nothing to do with them. Okay, um, so <clears throat> a couple uh, things to mention here. Fruit bearing uh, is only possible by connection to the vine, who is Jesus. Number two, fruit bearing is a proof of discipleship. Okay, we see that one as, as it comes uh, into verse eight here. Um, it says that you, uh, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What's... Uh, uh, Interesting here is that uh, in these last few chapters, you have this proof of discipleship coming up quite often. Remember uh, John 13, 34 and 35. Um, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So the very proof that, that, that you are one of his, a follower of his, is that you have love for one another, that you love the body. You uh, invest in the body. You... Um, your heart goes out to the body, you bear with the body, you love the body, that is a proof that you're even connected to Jesus at all. That is a proof of your discipleship. Number three, uh, also you see in this passage, we mentioned it before, but the lack of fruit bearing indicates a fatal flaw in the connection to the vine. This represents one who is associated with Christ or God or his people, but has never been truly connected to him. <clears throat> so, uh, some things to think of as we work through this passage. One, um, what is my status before God? Am I in Christ? Have I experienced his life flowing through me? Um, do I love the body? Is that the proof of my discipleship? Um, or uh, am I just around Christianity? God hasn't actually done a work in me. I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm enjoying the benefits of it. Maybe I, I realize that, you know, it's good for kids to grow up in church, and so I've got my kids here. I want them to, to be exposed to uh, Christian people, uh, good morals, uh, those type of things. But yet, I've never really, uh, I've never really um, borne any fruit uh, for the gospel's sake. Um, I don't have that in me. So this is a time for us as we come into the scriptures, we allow the scriptures to, to teach us and to uh, impact us and really to bring us to points of decision within our own hearts about um, where we are as we stand before God. So it is in this context of, of uh, John 15, 1 through 8 
that we come to this um, passage in 9 through 11. So Jesus transitions from the vine metaphor to a particular or specific act of abiding, abiding in his love. Verse 9 says, In the Father, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. The father-son relationship, as seen in previous passage as well, provides a description of what the son's relationship to his disciples is. So we see that in that you know, first verses, you know, really clear. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. This father-son relationship, you saw in, in 14, um, and I mean really throughout, as Jesus is describing his relationship to the father, he often uses that as well in his relationship uh, to his uh, people. So just as, um, you know, we see him describing uh, even to Philip, Lord, show us the Father, it is enough for us. Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So uh, even in that, that Father, Son, I am representative of the Father. Jesus says, you should see me as such. And in this passage as well, he's using that relationship that he has with God himself, his Father, um, to show um, his relationship then to, uh, <clears throat> to those who are his disciples. So the question then is, uh, it says, uh, abide in my love. That last statement there, um, abide in my love. Now, obviously, this is John pulling from the context of uh, 15, 1 through 8, uh, where that you have that agrarian analogy, that, that farming analogy of, um, <clears throat> of the vine, and that abiding Okay, but now he's asking it not just to abide in him, but to abide in his love. So he's taking a little bit more specific here, but has that same idea. And the abiding, we don't use the word abide. So, you know, think of uh, remaining. Um, think of um, a permanence. Think of uh, staying. Okay, think of that as we're talking abiding. But um, abiding in, abide in my love. It is, it, is, it is listed as Jesus is telling us what to do. So we are to abide in this love, and you see uh, in verse 10 how one is to abide is pretty, is pretty much clear. So verse 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So once again, Jesus is using the illustration of he and the Father in order to teach us about how we relate uh, to him. So we have... Uh, if you notice uh, in verse, we, we see this, uh, Jesus' disciples, a lot of times in Mark we saw it, and as well as John you see it, um, even with Philip um, saying that. But when, when Jesus makes a statement, the disciples are instantly coming around with the, the obvious question, it seems like. Uh, sometimes they ask the obvious question, sometimes they ask a crazy question that you're wondering why they ask it. But either way, they're, asking, they're usually asking the questions. And, uh, <clears throat> and then Jesus then comes around and gives them an answer. In this passage, though, we find him, and I don't know if it's because of the, uh, the situation that he's in. I mean, there, he knows minutes away, par paragraphs away in the scripture, minutes away, he is, uh, he's about to be arrested. Yeah, I mean, he's giving them truth and really firing, him, firing it at them. Um, there's no time, uh, as, he see, as he says later on, now I speak these things to you clearly. Um, you know, so there's no more, he's not taking times for parallel, uh, parables and to mull them over. He's not taking time for that. He's going right at it. He's giving them very 
very clear instruction about exactly what they need to do. And in this passage, we see the same thing where nobody's asking a question. He's giving it to them. Uh, abide, I just told you, abide in my love. Now I'm going to tell you how to do that. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He answers his own question. Um, but I really want, I want us to catch this because um, at surface, you know, just a quick reading of it. Okay, I get this. Okay, I get this. But in this verse, we have the Son of God equal with God, and he displays his love for God and remains in God's love through obedience. Isn't that unbelievable? Like, when you really think about that, like who Jesus is, I get it for us, but who Jesus is, that he would co-equal with God, humble himself, you know, just like other passages in Philippians, humble himself, become obedient to the cross, okay? He, he humbles himself and obeys the Father to abide in his love and even to display his love for the Father through obedience. It's, it's pretty monumental when you think of, uh, of that, that, um, that his obedience and, and how he relates to the Father is through this, and yet, um, yet we see how he uses it for our sake, and we see how that his example to us shows us what, how we are to relate as well. We are to relate in a, in a matter of humble obedience. Doesn't this shatter how we normally <coughs> think of obedience? Doesn't it shatter the way that we usually, at least for me, and maybe not, maybe not you, but for me, when I think of obedience, I usually think of it kind of begrudgingly. I usually think of it as traffic laws. I usually think of it as, um, you know, like, if I, if I do this, I, I'm, I'm obeying because I don't want to get caught. Or I'm obeying because I don't want to get, uh, you know, as a child, I obey because I don't want to get spanked. I obey because I, you know, I, I didn't want to get a boot in the butt, you know. I am obeying because I want to, you know, I, I'm obeying because there's, there's some fear of what might happen out here. And you see Christians obeying like this, right? You you have obeyed like this, all right? And not just, not just to your family, not just to parents, not just to policemen, okay? You've, uh, no offense, Al. Um, uh, you, you've obeyed out of, like, begrudgingly. Just doing it um, for, out of fear. And though God is worthy of our fear, okay, when it comes to obedience, the paradigm is, is flipped, Okay, this whole thing is turned onto its head because no longer is obedience to be out, to be begrudgingly. You don't see Jesus bemoaning the fact that he is obeying the Father. Okay, he feels the weight of it when he is obeying him to the cross. He feels the weight of what obedience means for him, but you don't see him begrudgingly going on to do it. And if he is our example in doing this, it changes the way that we obey. Obedience then becomes not something that we um, do because we have to, obedience becomes something that we do because we love the Savior. Out of love for Him do we obey. You know, um, something when it's, it's Mother's Day, so we'll give some child analogies here, but um, not as a mother per se, but, you know, uh, I don't come to quite to that caliber, but when I, <clears throat> when I um, 
a while back, I, I was reading John 14. Uh, this was before uh, that, but um, when he first started having children, um, John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Um, that really struck me from like a parenting perspective. And uh, um, it really impacted the way I thought about just obedience and, um, <clears throat> and why, you know, like why these children are, are obeying you. Um, it really impacted me because um, I want my children to obey me, not because I say so. I don't want them to obey me out of duty. I want them to obey me because they love me. You know, um, as, as the kids get bigger, I've noticed, uh, you know, and noticed here and noticed elsewhere and around and things, as children grow older, your ability to control them uh, under normal means, all right, even good means, okay, um, they're going to be big, too big to spank. They're going to be too big to um, manipulate or whatever, you know. They're going to be too big to, uh, you know, have candy bars change the way or candy change the way they act, okay. They're going to be too big to, um, to reason with, okay. I've got a boy right now who's, who's pushing it for me. Um, he's pushing me to the limits of logic. He, he calls me out all the time, all right? And uh, he really presses me on that regard. But, um, you know, it's going to come soon, and I know it's coming soon when my, my, my mind wanes and his mind increases and he can outraise me all day long, okay? However, I want him and I want my children that when they're in high school and big enough to put me over their knee... I don't, want, I don't want them to be either obeying, obeying out of fear or duty, uh, and it might not even be possible at that point. I want them to obey me because they love me. And, um, you know, not, not begrudgingly, not any of that. I want them to obey me because they love me. And you know what? It, God is, is the same in that regard. He has children. He wants them to obey him because they love him, not because they're afraid of lightning strikes and, um, you know, uh, chast the chastening of the Lord. He wants us to obey us because we love him. And, you know, as this passage uh, flows in here as well, um, <clears throat> though it says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. There is also that feel, because of the illustration of Christ, I believe, that um, <clears throat> that there is, in this abiding as well, circles back to how one obeys the commandments of the Lord. Okay, so catch that. Uh, it impacted me and even how I uh, talk to my children um, and how I discipline them and how I press them on. Not that I <laughs> am going to lack in some of the other necessary parts of discipline and, and child rearing. However, um, what do you want? You want their hearts. You know, you want their hearts, and God wants nothing less um, of us. So we cannot lose sight, both of the vine analogy as we understand this, or we can't err on the side of human volition of what would keep us in the love of God. We need to remember two things. One, without me, you can do nothing, okay? When you think of obedience and how good of an obeyer you are, uh, Judah said this to me one time. He's like, oh, I'm going to be the best obeyer that ever obeyed, you know? <laughs> And out of sheer volition and willpower, uh, you know, he was, he was going to outdo everyone in obedience, okay? Um, but it's, 
It's without me, you can do nothing. And then just as, as we are tapped into the life-giving nectar of the vine to bear fruit, the ability to obey is just as affected um, by this connection and how uh, and, and now we are yielding the fruit of love. I didn't read that very well. Just as we are tapped into the life-giving nectar of the vine to bear fruit, the ability to obey is just as affected by this connection, which now yields a fruit of love. So then we come, as well in that context, uh, to verse 11. And that's where I wanted us to um, just spend the last 10 minutes or so here um, <clears throat> in this passage. But verse 11, uh, this is the one that really struck me. These things, and I'll just stop right there. We'll do a little homily action here. But these things, as we stop right there, we're talking directly about abiding in him and abiding in his love. Okay, that's, that's the primary context. I think in John, you can probably pull context way back when as well, but, but in, this, in this direct context, I think that's what we're talking about here is abiding in him, abide, and then in specific, abiding in his love. These things have I spoken to you, his words, two things. That my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That last section, that your joy may be full, um, that's the Christian life right there, okay? That's the only way that the Christian life happens. It's the only reason that you would, uh, <clears throat> you know, is like a practical reason that you would um, enjoy or, or strive to, you know, to why, uh, why Christianity? You have this infusing of God's joy into you, making this life livable um, and not uh, perpetual uh, misery. To stop that and just quick definition of joy, um, you know, people, you know, people give lots of different definitions, but um, I would very crudely define it as a, a permanent happiness that is not related to circumstances, but yet related to uh, the truth that we know of God himself and how that impacts us. Huge definition. you never remember it, but think about it as we're talking about joy, is that um, <clears throat> the point is that it's not, it's not uh, this euphoric kind of happiness that kind of comes and goes as we get a new toy, Okay. I told, I told my kids that if, 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 uh, if you were satisfied by things, I would get you one present when you were born, and I'd never have to get you another one. All right? And isn't that true of all of us? If we were satisfied in things, we'd only need one thing. You'd only buy one truck. You know, you'd only, you'd only get one present as a child, and you would be enthralled with that teddy bear the rest of your life. All right? But it's not the case. We desire fullness. We desire satisfaction. We desire to be complete. And you know what? God is telling us, I have your completion. It is my joy in you. It's not your joy that you can muster up, your joy that you can find and be satisfied in anything else. It is my joy in you. And without that, without being connected and infused with the vine juice into you, 
to produce this joy, you're going to be, live a miserable life. You're going to live a miserable, unhappy life. And not, we choose um, God because he's right, okay? We, we look for him and we watch and we wait on him to do great things in our life because we know that he will do what he has promised to do and we do it out of love for him. However, in his last few things, he wants us to know, Jesus himself wants us to know that you want joy, you find it in nothing else but me. If you want to be satisfied in this life, you are going to be completely wasting your time to go anywhere else but me. Without me, you can do nothing. Without my joy in you, you have no joy. But with my joy in you, you have a complete, a full joy that is unparalleled. This joy is intrinsically tied to his words, which, by the way, if you don't know his words, you never hear his words, you're not listening to his words, you don't read his words, this joy is tied intrinsically to his words. Okay? These things have I spoken to you. And those words in this text are very clearly him working through us to bring about great joy for us. Number two, this joy is infused into the believer. It is his joy in us. And number three, this joy is of epic proportions. It is full joy. Okay? And to not get confused about this life that we live in, you have an old man who loves to sin. And because you have an old man who loves to sin, guess what? He's not bringing you joy. All right? He's bringing you sadness, sorrow, sickness, and death. Okay? All right? However, remember what Jesus says later on, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Okay? We are no longer bound to live in sin. Okay? We, have, we no longer have to sin because Christ is in us and, and working through us to bring himself great glory and us great joy. And so if I could leave those things with you today and have you evaluate uh, the thoughts of your own heart, think about it for a moment. Number one, do I have joy? Okay? There are things that can cloud out that joy or you can just plain not have it, okay? Think about your heart. Evaluate what you really believe and come in humility to Christ. Just as he in humility uh, obeyed the Father, you obey him, believer or unbeliever. Obey him today. Obey him and you'll find that he will infuse you with my love, my joy, and we see later on even my peace. So this passage, tremendously valuable for us. If we can even think through these things, his joy. And what's interesting, I'll I'll give you, uh, when you read, you should read verses 12 through 17 again this afternoon. Or just glance down there as you're doing something else that you're not supposed to be. Just glance down there. Read through it because you will find that he gives you the commandment. He said, if you keep my commandments you'll abide in my love. And then right after this passage of joy, he gives you the commandment. A spoiler, it's loving the body. Okay? You don't love him, you don't love the body, you won't have joy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your joy. This is a miserable world that's fallen in sin. Uh, 
It's a world that that has hated you and hates everything about you. It despises living under shackles. Uh, We're in America. We want to be free. We don't want to be listening to having people tell us what to do. Uh, We want to be our own men. We want to be our own women who can stand up and do whatever we want. We can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We can do all those things that, because, because we're strong, but yet you remind us and remind us sometimes uh, through the hardest things of life, uh, when, when people pass, when our friends die, when our family dies, uh, that we are weak and in need of you. Uh, at any moment, you can take our life from us, but yet you have allowed us in grace to be here today to hear your word spoken, to have an opportunity to understand and know and love, uh, <clears throat> love you. Um, I pray that, that we would see this as something that we cannot do of ourselves. Even on, later on as we talk about uh, loving one another, you say that you did not, uh, we did not cho- chose you, but you chose us and appointed us that we should go and bear much fruit. Let us not be satisfied with the status quo. Let us not be satisfied to live a life of, of uh, stagnant misery. I pray that you would help us to obey you, not out of begrudgingly, but because we've been infused with you, that we would submit ourselves to you and watch how you take us, mold us, you cause us to abide in you and obey you because we love you. In your name I pray, amen.